<laughs> Aiden just bolted, didn't he? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, I just want to praise the Lord for you being here today. And uh, Lord, it, it just always warms a pastor's heart when, when people come together to worship the Lord Jesus and uh, that see value in what we do here. Uh, there is great value when people humble themselves and say, you know what, uh, today I'm not number one. Today, God is number one, and for that, I'm grateful. I wanted to share with you about a man named George Mueller. George Mueller was a great man of faith in his day, and he once said this. He once said that God delights in increasing the faith of his children. And as his children, we often ask God to grow our faith. We ask him to strengthen our faith. We often ask him to shatter our doubts. But then we question the manner in which he does it. Instead of wanting no trial before victory, instead of wanting no testing before patience comes, we must learn to be willing to accept trials, to accept testing, and to accept it from God's hand. To accept it as a means of obtaining victory and receiving the patience that we're looking for. I say this very deliberately this morning. Trials, obstacles, difficulties, even sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. In today's passage of Scripture, Jesus teaches us some very, very important lessons about faith that should lead me and you to ask a question. And that question is this. Just what kind of faith do I have? Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4. And beginning in verse 46, I want to share with you a narrative, a, a story that's written in the Gospel of John. It's going to show you what kind of faith you have. In John chapter 4, in verse 46, the Bible tells us that Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When that man heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son because his son was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the nobleman said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said, Go your way. Your son lives. And so the man believed, and he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was the same hour which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he, he himself believed, and his 
again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, on the Discovery Channel, I like watching a program that's called The Deadliest Catch. Has anybody heard that, or am I the only one? All right, the Calvert, all right, good, y'all are cool. Good deal. The Deadliest Catch. Let me tell you about The Deadliest Catch real quick. The Deadliest Catch is a, is a documentary, if you will, about several ships that go out and trap these huge crabs. And they bring the crabs back in, and they go fishing for these crabs, trapping them in the Bering Sea, which is up near Alaska. Now, as these ships go from one trap to another trap to empty uh, the crab, they're going in these ice-cold waters of the Bering Sea. And anything that is loose on the, on the deck of the boat, if it's not strapped down, it's going to be blown overboard or washed overboard. So when the seas get rough, it's very important for them to tie stuff down. And if you look on these ships, everything, and I mean everything, is tied down. And so the only way to keep the equipment and the fishing gear from blowing overboard is to lash that equipment to something that's stable. To lash it to something that's fixed. And what's important is, is it's not the rope that gives security. It's what the rope is fastened to that gives security. So today, I want to encourage you to do something. Before we even get started good, I want to encourage you today to lash yourself to Jesus Christ. I want you to tie yourself so closely to Jesus Christ that when the rough seas of life come, when the storms of life come, you ain't going nowhere. Amen? I want you to lash yourself so tightly to the Lord that you know you're safe and that you know you're going to be able to stand firm in your faith. Lash yourself to Jesus Christ. Now, I also want to share with you about the many variations of faith. In this life that we live, this Christian life that we live, there are many variations of faith and that those variations should lead us to examine ourselves the bible encourages us often to examine ourselves kind of find out where you stand amen so today we're going to examine ourselves and we're going to find out just what kind of faith do you have in our narrative the first question that i found is is do you have a crisis faith Look there in verse 46. Jesus came again to Galilee, or Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. Why? Because his son was at the point of death. Whenever I read the scriptures, whenever I'm studying the Bible, I have one favorite question. And my favorite question is, why? I'm like a kid in a candy store. Why? Why? Why can't I have it, Mom? Why? Why? Amen? You parents have heard that question. Why? Why? Well, that's me. Whenever I'm reading the Bible, i got to ask why. The first question I had as I was studying this is, why did Jesus go back to Cana? He had already made water to wine. Surely that made a lot of disciples when he saw that miracle. So why did he go back? 
Well, I wonder if it was just for this boy who was sick. Is that possible? Well, the boy was in Capernaum 20 miles away, so that wasn't it. So he went back to Cana for one reason, and that was to cultivate the faith who saw that miracle, to cultivate the faith of those people who saw Jesus make wine in, from water. So Scripture doesn't tell us for sure. It doesn't tell us specifically, but here's what we know. Increasing the faith of believers was a top priority for Jesus. He always wanted to increase the faith of believers. So today, when you leave here, I want you to be able to say, today my faith in Christ has been increased. Because that's what Jesus likes to do. That's a top priority for the Lord. Now, immediately after arriving in Cana, we find a man who had crisis faith. He's a wealthy man. He might even be related to the king. And he hears that Jesus has arrived nearby, and he travels that 20 miles to ask Jesus to heal his dying son. How many of you would travel 20 miles to heal your dying child? Amen? We all would, I hope. I hope. So this man is desperate. This man is at the end of his rope. All that money he's got in his bank account, it ain't doing him a look of good. All that money can't help him out of this one. He has nowhere to turn except to Jesus. Friends, that is crisis faith. We know a great many people who have turned to Jesus in the midst of a crisis, don't we? The problem is, is often it stays crisis faith. That faith must evolve into the other kinds of faith that we're going to talk about later. But there is a reason why God allowed this crisis. God allowed this crisis for one reason, and that was to bring this man to Jesus. Do you think that God ever does that today? Does he allow a crisis in our life so that we might be brought to Jesus? So that one of our family members might be brought to Jesus? We asked this question in our Wednesday morning Bible study. And I'm going to ask you today, and I'm, I'm going to ask you for your responses. What is a crisis? Anybody know? Y'all gone through enough of them. What is a crisis? Is it normally good or bad? It's normally bad, and I can't do nothing about it. What else is a crisis? A trial. Whenever I hear the word trial, it don't ever have a good connotation to it. A low point in your life, amen? Good or bad? Low is always bad, amen? What's a crisis? A disaster? That's a crisis, right? What else? What's a crisis? In our country, we have a moral crisis. Amen? The morals of our country are going down the toilet. At times in our country's history, we've had economic crisis. Amen? What does that mean? That means the worth of our dollar ain't worth a hill of beans. Amen? 
Uh, what is a crisis? It's an emergency. It's a disaster. It's something awful that's happened. It's a downward trend. But let me tell you what else a crisis is. A crisis is an hour of opportunity. A crisis is an opportunity. A crisis will grab your attention and make you realize how helpless you are. A crisis will soften your heart so that you are willing to accept a life lesson God wants to teach you. A crisis is when God turns up the heat in your life to get your attention. He turns up the heat to let you know something's got to change. So in those lights, a crisis is not always bad. So I don't want you to fall into the trap this morning of thinking that life should be a bed of roses. Life is one crisis after another. It may not be one disaster or emergency after another, but it's one opportunity after another opportunity after another. It's not always a bed of roses. Life, your Christian life, will never be problem-free. It's going to be full of crises. So a crisis is your opportunity. It's your opportunity to grow your faith. It's your opportunity to strengthen your faith. Because sadly, unless we go through a crisis, nothing changes. Now, there's something I want you to notice in verse 47. In verse 47, I want you to notice that the man heard about Jesus coming into Judea. He went to him, and look what he did. He implored him. He begged Jesus. I'm going through a crisis, Lord. My son is sick, and he's getting ready to die. And I'm begging you. Have you ever begged the Lord before? I'm begging you, Lord. Would you intervene here? I'm begging you. Would you change something here? I'm begging you, Lord, would you get me through this crisis? Would you get me through this emergency? Would you get me through this disaster? Would you get me through this hour of opportunity? See, the Bible continually stresses how important it is for us to seek the Lord. That's my favorite theological, biblical word. Seek. Amen? Seek and you shall find, the Bible says. Seek the Lord. Seek God's intervention, especially friends, when you're in the midst of a crisis. It doesn't have to be bad, but when you're in the midst of this hour of opportunity where change is getting ready to occur, I'm praying that you're praying for God's intervention, for God's direction. Listen, friend, the Lord is never nearer to you than when you are in the midst of a crisis. When you're going through that tough day, when you're going through that tough disaster, that tough emergency, God's never closer to you than then. But when you're going through this hour of opportunity, God is never nearer than at that moment. 
Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. Call upon him while he is near. Friends, our faith, but our faith must move beyond the crisis. You got to move beyond the emergency. If God intervenes and he gets you through the disaster, your faith has got to move beyond that. It's got to move beyond that crisis into your daily life. Because that's what faith is intended to do. So, do you only have a crisis faith? Well, there's another kind here that I believe is mentioned. And that is, some people have a counterfeit faith. Do you have a counterfeit faith? Look in verse 48. Jesus says, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, we do a lot of stuff by faith. Amen? We sit in chairs trusting those chairs won't break. We drive our cars trusting that we are going to not get killed. We eat our food and we trust that it's not poison. We plant our crops and we trust that they will grow. All of those things have an element of trust in them. But this miracle was different. This miracle was more than a favor for a wealthy man. This miracle was a sign. A sign to all the people. How do you know, Bill? Well, in John chapter 20, verse 31, the author of this gospel, this good news, wrote this. He said that all these signs are recorded in the Bible. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verse 48 gives us the very foundation statement for counterfeit faith. The foundation statement for counterfeit faith is this. You ready? Seeing is believing. Friend, that's counterfeit faith. Now, what does the world say? The world says, hey, show me and I'll believe. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, believe me and I'll show you. Amen? Do you remember what Jesus said to the doubting Thomas? Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have believed. Do you have a counterfeit faith? Do you require that God do something supernatural in your life before you believe? Jesus says, believe in me, then I'll show you. But there's another kind of faith that I believe is seen here, and that is a confident faith. Do you have a confident faith? Let's listen to verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the tears in that statement? Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed. He believed the word 
that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, said, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now, many Christians show incredibly little confidence in the Lord that they call God. It's amazing to me how little trust a lot of Christians have in God. This man did have faith in God. He had a confident faith in God. He had a confident faith that Jesus could heal his son. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith that says, hey, the Lord's my God. He's got this. The Lord's my God. He can do it. The Lord's my God. He can take care of this crisis. Is that the kind of faith you have? Your son lives. What a promise. Boy, that was one happy daddy. Amen. Music to daddy's ears. Your son lives. And notice that he believed the word of Christ. Look here. He believed the word. He believed the word of God. He believed the word of Christ. And what did he do next? Man, he was headed to the house. He believed the word, headed to the house. Amen? Amen? Can I tell you, we should respond in the same way when it comes to God's word. If God said it, we can believe it. We should do it. We're to trust God's word. We're to love God's word. And we're to allow God's word to impact our life. To impact our faith. If he tells you to do it, hey, it's in the books. Do it. Let us have that confident faith. The word of God says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word says, your word is very pure and your servant loves it. So heading home, dad was no doubt wondering about his boy's well-being. Wonder how my son's doing. I wonder if he's really well. And then his servants met him. And his servants confirmed that the word of God is true. Confirmed that the words of Jesus were true. And they said, indeed, your boy lives. Your son's alive. And he said, well, when did it happen? He said, oh, yesterday about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he remembered. That's exactly when Jesus said, your son lives. This wealthy man now has a confident faith. He's now got a faith that's been confirmed by the word of God. He's got a faith that knows that God did what he said he would do. I want to tell you today, God will do what he says he will do. God ever kept a promise in your life? God ever kept a promise in your life? If you don't know the answer to that question, I want to tell you he has. I want to tell you that in Philippians 4.19, the Bible says, My God shall supply all your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't see anybody in this room who is in need you may be in want, amen, but you're not in need. So do you have a confident faith? If you got, 
a confident faith, then I already know the answer to the last question. Because the last question is, do you have a contagious faith? Let's look in verse 53. And so the father knew, amen, he knew that it was the same hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And look at here. And he himself believed, but not just him, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he'd come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, when Jesus had originally come to Cana and he made wine from that water, he was showing his power over time because it takes time to make wine, amen? He was showing his power over time, but he was also, also showing his power over creation. He instantaneously turned water into wine. But here, with this nobleman's son, the Lord is showing power over sickness. Can I tell you that today, Lord Jesus has power over sickness. Guess what? We pray the Lord's power over sickness. He's got that power. But he also has the power over death. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus holds the keys to death. And he also has power over space. Think about this. He healed that boy from 20 miles away. He didn't have to lay no hands on him. He didn't even in that case have to make some spittle or put some clay on him. He just gave the word. And that boy was healed. In verse 49, something peculiar again, I ask why. Because in verse 49, when Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives, the Bible says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. He believed. But then it says in verse 53 again, Father knew that it was the same hour that Jesus said, your son lives, and look what happens. And he himself believed. He believed again. What do we have here? We got two kinds of faith. One was a crisis faith that built confidence. But the second one, he believed and his faith became contagious. His faith began to spread. His faith became uh, relevant to other people's lives. And it wasn't just something he had. And a chain reaction has begun. Dominoes have begun to fall. The effect has happened. Jesus made one, and now that one is making more. The nobleman believed, and then he caused his whole household to believe. Now, this nobleman's household uh, probably uh, included his children and all of their family, and his servants and all their family. So this was a lot of people that came to Christ. This was a lot of people who caught that contagious faith of the nobleman. Can I tell you today that the Lord wants you to have a contagious faith? Jesus wants your faith to be contagious. He wants other people to have what you got. But how do I do that? How do I get that kind of contagious faith? Can I tell you that it all begins here with the word of God? It all begins here because God's word is powerful. God's word changes lives. God's word does miracles. God's word it will ignite your confidence. It will spark your faith. If. Say if. 
confidence. Think about this. At God's word, there was a calming in Mark chapter 4. You see, the sea had rose and a storm came about, but they were both calmed when Jesus said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. How did it happen? Because Jesus said it. Notice that God's word, there's also a curing. There were sick people, diseased people, blind people, lepers, paralyzed people, and they were all healed at the hand of the Lord when he said to the paralytic, Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. At God's word, there's conversion. Think of the thief on the cross. A wretched sinner, a crook, a thief hanging on the cross there. And what's that say to me and you? Friend, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your sin is, no matter how wicked you've been, there's still room at the cross for you. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. But at God's word, there's also creation. See, the Bible says is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, guess what? They passed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But at God's word, there's also a conquering. See, when Jesus returns, every enemy of the Lord and every army of the Lord is going to be conquered. My faith, it's a confident faith. My faith is a confirmed faith. My faith is a contagious faith. Why? Because I'm a super Christian? No. My faith is that way because I've read the end of this book. I know who wins. Jesus wins. And our faith can be in him. And friend, when you begin to believe that, when you begin to stake your whole life that heaven and earth are going to pass away, but God's word will never pass away, then you too will have contagious faith. So what kind of faith do you have? Are you waiting for a crisis to happen in your life before you have faith? Friend, I hope not. Maybe you've discovered, in all reality, you've got counterfeit faith. Because for you, you ain't believing it until you see it. You say, show me. I believe. But Jesus said, believe me, and I'll show you. Isn't it high time to have a confident faith? A faith that leads to action? A faith that gets off the a faith that gets off the pew, goes outside these walls and does something? That's what confident faith does. What if the man would have said, I believe, but I ain't going home to see my son? No, he went home to see that miracle. Blessed are those who have not seen, but yet believe. Friends, let's grow together. Let's build our faith together. Let's use our contagious faith together so that we can influence the world for the kingdom of heaven. 
and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 